hear the word of God to you this morning. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. As for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Hallelujah. Thus ends the reading of God's powerful and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. I got to be honest, uh, my own personal time of study and reflection in First and Second Thessalonians has been such an incredible blessing and a means of grace in my own life these past number of months. I, I'm literally going to miss it. Like, I, I can't believe that we're going to be finishing it up in the next two weeks because God's really used it in my own life and encouraged me and convicted me in many ways. So I'm pretty sad, in a sense, that this sermon series is coming to an end. But I'm sure the Lord's going to have another great one for us. Uh, following it up. Now, as we looked at the text, we saw that P Paul finally um, winds down his second epistle to the, the Christians in Thessalonica by writing this, finally, my brothers. And now some people think he's like me, where I say, and I'm going to close with this, only five minutes later, to say, all right, now I'm going to end it. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, I'm really going to end it this time. That's not what he's doing. He, he, he really is ending He's uh, going to be talking about, he, as he does uh, very often, with prayer. He's going to open with prayer, and then he's going to get into what he really, the final thing he wants to hit them with, which we read later. There was some idol there, and he deals with that. Um, but what we're going to see this morning is in this very last chapter, Paul gives 
those uh, Thessalonian believers and us here this morning. Prayers to be prayed, commands to be obeyed, and grace conveyed. That's what we're going to see. And it beautifully sticks together. And so if, if I wanted to put it, sum it up in one line, I'd say this. As we eagerly await our Lord's promised return, because that's what the epistle has been about, this whole epistle. There are prayers to be prayed, commands to, obey, uh, to be obeyed, and grace conveyed. Now this morning, you can thank me later. I'm only going to deal with the first one. <laughs> prayers to be prayed. Amen. All right. Um, but literally, it's actually one sermon this week and next week broken into two parts because it stays together very closely. So we'll just pick it up where we left off next week and we'll hit the ground running. So if anyone's listening online, you'll see they just blend together. Um, so for our purposes, we're going to break it into bites for your spiritual digestion so you can digest better. All right. So let's take a look at the first one. As we eagerly await, await our Lord's promised return, there are prayers to be prayed. Because that's the question. What do we do while we're eagerly awaiting Jesus' return? What should we be up to as the people of God? And the first thing we need to be up to is prayer. So Paul asks them, as we look at the text, to pray for him and his fellow gospel workers. I always mention that, if you notice, in my preaching, because he says pray for us. A lot of times he says we. So it's not just Paul. It's Paul and Timothy and Silas and the other gospel workers who may be with him at the time in particular, um, as well as the others who are in other locations. And he asks specifically, we look at the text, it's simple as we look at it. He asks them to pray for two complementary things. Look at verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. So think about it. What, what is Paul praying for? This is what it says. He prays that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. In other words, if we're just going to simplify it, Paul is praying for the evangelistic, uh, the evangel I'm sorry, the evangelization of the lost. That's what's on Paul's heart. Anyone who knows Paul through his writings shouldn't be shocked at this. You think the apostle shouldn't be like, oh, why would he ask for that? Now, here's the thing. Without a doubt, and test me on this. I want you to search the scriptures. Test me on it. Without a, without a doubt, it's one of the main priorities of the Apostle Paul in all his writings. If not the priority of all his prayers. Test it. Look it up. Talk to me about it. But notice, this is how the text literally says. You won't notice this unless you know the Greek. But in the Greek, he actually says, pray that the word of the Lord would run and be glorified. Amen. Isn't that interesting? That's what it literally says. Um, he, he, he's thinking of how the word would run through, right? And go from place to place and have its way among people. And that people would actually glorify it. That means receive it and give God the glory through believing the gospel. Now that is a prayer request, just in case you were wondering, that's outstanding until the Lord Jesus returns. We will always have to pray this prayer. Because we just mentioned how dark this world is. That shows you what? People need Jesus. You know, we could put a little plaster on here. We could patch them up a little bit here. But that's not going to do the job. They need heart, life, 
soul transformation. And there's only one thing that can do that. Hallelujah. It's the gospel. Because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It don't matter if you're black. It don't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you're Italian. It doesn't matter if you're Asian. It doesn't matter if you're male, you're female, adult, child. Guess what? It's that same gospel that can save your soul. Now here's the interesting thing as we look at these priorities of the Apostle Paul in prayer. And by the way, a little plug, I don't often do this, but if you come on Wednesdays, we're going to look at all of Paul's prayers and see what he prioritized. And I'll tell you, for me, it's convicting. You know, it's like, I hope nobody writes down what I pray and then put it next to what Paul prays for. You know, let's just say. So, and, and I want to put, because I don't see a lot of guilt in this passage. Later on, he's going to give some commands. It's going to be convicting. You heard them when I read them. Like, you know, it took the pain off my car when I first read it. But um, right now, it's very encouraging. But what I do want to mention is this. Um, I want you to see this as we think of uh, Paul's priorities and even our Lord's priorities. We'll see in a, in a moment in the Lord's Prayer. It's not that our physical health doesn't matter to the Lord, because of course it does. Okay, we need to pray for those who are sick. We just did that together as a people of God. It's an important thing. It's not that jobs aren't important. We all need a job that pays a living wage so that we can eat and we can take care of our needs, take care of our family. There's no doubt about it. It's just, here's the problem. Here's what, what comes in. I, I've seen it my whole life in the church. I've seen it in my own life. It's when we start with these things, we very rarely get to the more important priorities. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all way before Give us this day our daily bread. That's what Paul's praying. He's saying, please pray for us. Now, if you're a believer this morning, I hardly need to give a defense for Paul's prayer request for the gospel to spread and be glorified, I would think. Think about it this way. How, how I know in your own heart, I know in my own heart, how, do we, how, how much do we deeply long for our loved ones, our unsaved loved ones? our family members, our friends, our neighbors to come to know Jesus and experience his salvation and his transformation. Amen? Amen. We want to see people repent and believe the gospel for their own good and for our Lord Jesus' glory. But here's what shows that the grace of God is powerfully working in a supernatural way in our own hearts and our own lives, and that's this. We have a deep desire... For the unsaved, we haven't even met yet Amen. to come and know Jesus. So, you know, it's like when, well, pray for uh, the church in China. And every once in a while, I see certain people's eyes glaze over. I'm like, what are you, why are your eyes glazing over? You're praying for brothers and sisters that you haven't met yet. Because once the gospel goes there and it spreads, guess what? Family. Family. Automatic when they repent and believe by the grace of God. Hallelujah. You know, so what, what I think is interesting here, when you're filled with God's love, when, when you know the experience of being saved, it's your heart's desire that others would know the same Jesus, that you've had the joy 
and the privilege of knowing by his grace. You know, how much, I don't know about you, but when I read, uh, when I was studying First uh, and Second Thessalonians, when I see how serious of a thing it is that the Lord Jesus is going to come someday and those who did not obey the gospel, he's going to shut out of his presence. There's nothing more chilly in the universe. I haven't met anything. You know, I remember uh, being in some of the churches I've been in. Um, people would say, you're going on a mission trip to Chile. Why are you going to Chile? You should, you know, there's enough people in the United States that need, need the gospel. I was like, oh, okay. Well, when I, when I lived in a certain area that was uh, in the, more in the northeast, so we went to Chattanooga to spread the gospel. Then guess what they said? Well, why can't you spread the gospel in the city next door to us? So guess what we did? We started working in the city next door to us. And guess what their next comment was? I kid you not. What about our town? Then, then I was like, okay. I see where you're going with this. And then, you know, I couldn't help it. I tried to be encouraging. But think about it this way, I told the congregation. 80% or more of my time and the staff's time is ministering to who? God. You. In this place. So what do you mean, what about, for instance, what about Atlantic City? My whole time, most of my time is spent on you. So because I want to take 20% of that time and spread the gospel to other places, you're complaining? You know, look, think about it this way. This is what our Lord Jesus said. Which one of you, if you had 100 sheep, you with me? And one goes astray, would he not do what? Leave the 99 and go find that one until he gets them and then bring them back rejoicing because there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 who don't need to. You preach that, the church treat, acts like you're some kind of heretic. But it's what Jesus said. So Paul asked the church that he brought the gospel to in Thessalonica to pray for his gospel ministry. He was writing this probably in Corinth and beyond. It's, it's just natural when you belong to the family of God now. You're a child of God. You're part of Christ's kingdom that you want that to be spread. Amen. You know, the Michael Card song puts it this way. I remember this in the back of my mind. There's a joy in the journey is the name of the song. He said, for, forget not the hope that's before you. And never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost. See, Thessalonians were just saved, so they did not forget. And I think we don't need a brow beating on this. I don't need to sit here and beat you up or beat myself up. If my heart isn't aflame for the gospel and for others to be saved, then you know what I need? To be refreshed in the gospel. And to be reminded of the good news that while I was yet a sinner, at my worst, that's when Jesus said, you're not worthy, but you're worth it to me. Yes. Then I want you to see this one little phrase here. You can see why I had to break the sermon into two. There's too much here. He says, pray that the word would run. And it would be glorified, but I don't want you to miss this, just as it was with you, the Thessalonians. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's a tall order, and I'm going to tell you why that's a Goliath-sized prayer. 
Because how did they receive the gospel? How was it honored and glorified among them? I'm going to read it to you. Listen up, I'm going to preach now. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. This is what Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and I want you to hear how they glorified the Lord. And this is convicting. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they, them, they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. Now listen, if that all wasn't convicting enough, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now talk about a specific, gospel-centered, kingdom-focused, Christ-honoring prayer. That the word of the Lord would gain the same kind of reception it received from the believers in Thessalonica. Now, that, how wonderful would it be if people would receive the gospel here in Atlantic City, in spite of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit? Amen. That would be a unique work of God. Nothing we could possibly do. We would know the Spirit is here, boy. And he's working through the gospel. So much so that they become a model for other people say, man, what does a Christian look like? Oh, go to Atlantic City. I'll show you what it looks like. Because these people are living it out. That's what we need to pray for here in our midst in AC. It's what we need to pray for in the cities and towns that are in, and throughout our country. And that's what we need to pray for in the Middle East, in Asia, in Africa, in Europe. That's the kind of prayer. You know, the kind of reception of the gospel where uh, professed believers don't write, share if you love Jesus, and then write such a foul post after that that it literally takes the pain off your car. You with me? That's the kind of conversion that we're looking for. Amen. And that's what we're praying for because only God can do that with wicked sinners like you and me. Because if it had not been for the Lord, where would I be? I'd be bowing down to those other idols. To those idols. Rather, excuse me. The other kind of so-called reception of the gospel, the kind that supposedly uh, receives it but shows no resemblance in the heart and the mind and the life, listen, this is important, would never provoke the kind of persecution that was provoked in Thessalonica. You remember what happened? All these people got genuinely saved and all of a sudden the townsfolks couldn't take it. And so they had some severe per persecution of the church and they tried to kill Paul. Remember that? He had to sleep, slip out at night. You know you've really been converted when the world comes at you like that. Because guess what? The devil's never happy Amen. when people get pulled out of his lap. When you're safely in his lap, he don't mess with you too much because he got you. But when Jesus comes and says, mine, Amen. well, now he's spitting nails 
Coming. Amen. But it's not trouble that God can't handle. But it's coming. It's coming. Wonder why they were so persecuted? Because they embraced the gospel lock, stock, and barrel. And that's the kind of world evangelization that Paul's asking God's people to join him in praying to God for. And that's why Paul follows it up with the second request. Look at verse 2. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. When the gospel begins to spread in a region and becomes honored by many people and glorified by people, you can bet that there will be wicked and evil men who will do everything in their power to oppose it out of pure spite and resentment. It happens. You know, I, I love it when people try to always uh, uh, um, dissect why people do what they do. I wonder if it's just... They're wicked! We're sinful. We're fallen beings. Why do you not believe that people have bad intent? I don't get it. God says they will. Don't be shocked. Jesus said, if they hate me, I know, newsflash, they're going to hate you. Because you're the apple of my eye. And they know it. Jalosa, capito. And yet they could have it if they repent and believe. There's no need to be jealous. Come. It's not for anybody special, it's for sinners like you and for me. And I want you to see something. Paul did not ask for prayer in this area, to be delivered from unbelievers because he feared for his life or because he was afraid. Because let me tell you something about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul got stoned and left for dead. They thought he was dead. I believe it was in Derby or Lystra, one of those two places, but you correct me later, but one of those two. And he's stoned, left for dead, and you think, and miraculously, he's alive still. He gets up, and you think, Oh, man, he's going to go get some R&R. What does he do? He goes in the next town and does the same exact thing. And the, and the Lord blessed him, and it says many came to know Christ. So, no, he wasn't afraid, and he wasn't praying for his own well-being. This is what he wanted. He did not want the gospel to be hindered in any way. He didn't want the unbelievers to stop the progress of the gospel. And so he says, pray that we be delivered from these men. Because these men have it out for me. Because they know I'm Jesus's and they know that God is using me to bring other people into the kingdom. So Paul basically took a page out of the Lord's Prayer. Remember what Jesus taught us to pray? Deliver us from evil. And in many manuscripts, deliver us from the evil one. Because we know he's behind all general evil. He's real and he's the enemy of our souls. And Jesus talked about him and so does Paul. And we're not unaware of his schemes. It's a regular prayer in the pages of the New Testament to be delivered from evil. Jesus himself prayed this for his disciples in John 17, 15. To the Father he prayed, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Amen. We should be praying that for one another, by the way. Amen. Protect him. Protect her. Yes. Protect New City Fellowship from the evil one. Here's what's interesting. You would expect him to say, but the Lord is faithful, in verse 2. He will strengthen and protect us from the evil one. But that's not what he says. Look what he actually says. 
But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Man, Paul is a spiritual parent. Because Paul isn't even really thinking about himself. Who's he thinking about? God's people. His spiritual children. He longs for them to be grounded and rooted and firm in Christ. Protected from the evil one. Safe in God's care. How they're going to need to grasp this, especially when Paul has to gently but firmly correct them and admonish them, like he will in a few verses down in our passage. Because he has, ultimately he has their ultimate good at heart. You know, like you, you go and you encourage a child, you, want them to, you give them all, all the praises for all the good things, you want to show them your love, but you, know, you also need to do what as a parent? Say, hey, but there's an area here you need to start paying attention to because it could sink you if you ignore it. And I'm not saying that because I'm being some kind of jerk or killjoy. It's because I love you more than life itself. And to see you, you get shipwrecked would be worse than me getting shipwrecked. It's like Paul says, I'd rather myself if I could be cut off from my people. If that were possible. But all this talk of deliverance from evil doesn't come from a heart of fear or doubt for the final outcome, not at all. Unlike those who don't have faith, who Paul prays to be delivered from, notice this. Paul is chock full of faith in the God who is faithful and who will do it. Look again with me in verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and you will continue to do the things we command. So now God's going to, and Paul's going to contrast those who have no faith with the God who is faithful. That's the play in the Greek, by the way. Those who have no faith and the God who is faithful. Amen. Stop looking at those who don't have any faith. Stop trembling for them and look at the God who is faithful and who can deliver us from any and every trial. Hallelujah. Nothing can slip by him. And notice, this is what's so interesting. Evil men try to destroy our faith, but little do they realize it that in genuine believers, it just makes it deeper and stronger and firmer. You know, here they're, they're, they're trying to put the fire out. They think they're throwing water. Guess what they're throwing? Gasoline. And that fire's stoking. And the devil's scratching his head. I'm trying to put this thing out. Yeah, good luck with that. Because my God is God. And then notice what Paul says here. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and you will continue to do the things we command. Paul had great confidence in God's grace, which was at work in them. And because I, Why do I say that? He had confidence in God's grace. Oh, Santo, you're adding it to the text. No, because he says, I have confidence what? In the Lord that you will do. <laughs> he doesn't say, I have confidence in your ability. And your great strength to stand. And your ability to go mano y mano with the devil. I know you're going to come out. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I have confidence in the Lord. You know? It's like Michael the archangel when he's disputing with the devil. He doesn't go toe to toe and say, I rebuke you, devil. You know what he says? The Lord rebuke you. The Lord. And if an angel has to say that, guess what? You and I got to do the same thing. It's in the Lord. That's where our confidence is. He had great confidence in God's work in them. Because of that, 
He can deal with the, there is a small minority who had an issue with idleness, and he's going to deal with that because in the main, the congregation were steadfast in the Lord. They were a model of true conversion. We'll get to that more uh, next time as we deal with um, the idol. We see Paul dealing with the idol. But for now, we're going to look at verse 5. Last thing we're going to see in this prayers to be prayed section. In verse 5, Paul says this, May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Now remember, I titled this prayers to be prayed. Well, I think it's really interesting that Paul, there's a mutual thing going on here in the, in the fellowship of the saints. He says, I want you to pray for us. And then he does what? He prays for them. Church, that's that we're the body of Christ. We need to be doing that. Leaders praying for people, people praying for leaders, members praying for other members. We need to be covered from every angle. The army of Christ. That's right. And he asks for two things for them. He asks that God would direct their hearts into his love and that he would direct their hearts into Christ's perseverance. Listen, what else would a spiritual parent want for his children? That the Lord would direct their hearts in the love of God mm -hmm. and, and into Christ's perseverance. In other words, that their hearts would be channeled and flow into the ocean of God's love. Mm -hmm. That that very love of God that so loved the world that gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have um, eternal life. That that very love would flow through them to one another. Because listen, don't be saying you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, who you do see, when you don't see, you get what I'm saying? So Paul prays that God would direct their hearts into that love, God's love for them, and that their love would therefore flow outward. But then this one is super encouraging to me, because I need it and you need it. That God would direct their hearts into the perseverance of Christ. That is that they would share Christ's steadfastness and be immovable from the hope held out in the gospel. This is what the writer of Hebrews writes us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus, brothers and sisters. And that's the prayer. The prayer is that God, not us, that God would direct our hearts into that type of perseverance. Because once again, in and of ourselves, we just ain't got the power. And that's why Paul looks up to heaven, but I know who does, as the word he says. And I'm going to pray that Daddy, Abba Father, directs your hearts into Jesus' perseverance. As we pray for grace for unbelievers to honor the word of the Lord and to come to Christ, we also have to pray for that very same grace to enable those who are already saints to persevere to the end. Amen. The grace that saves initially is the grace that keeps to the end. It's the same grace. Unmerited favor of God. We don't get saved by grace and then we have to kind of work it out by ourselves. The rest of the, no, it doesn't work that way. The same grace that saves us has to see us through to the end. So as we eagerly await the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is his royal coming, Paul gives us 
prayers to be prayed, and he prays for God's people as well. And it's this mutual uh, serving of one another through prayer. And, and I am going to close with this. I want you to notice something. Paul has already thanked God in both epistles, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, for the Thessalonians' love and for their perseverance. And here's the interesting thing. Now he prays for those same things that he already thanked God for. Now, why would he do such a thing? I'll tell you why. Now, I don't know about your life, but I know this in my own life. Do you ever notice you, you, spend, you, you tend to pray more for those who are on the edge? You know, those who are struggling, those who are weak. And when you see somebody that seems to be standing strong in the Lord, you kind of like, oh, they're good. You don't give too much attention to praying as hard for them. Anybody else do that or feel like that? Come on now, you're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, here it's telling us, no. You, for those who look like they're standing, they need just as much prayer. For those who, who are persevering and who are showing the love of God, it's, it's God's going to use your prayers to keep them keeping on. So that means notice how much prayer Paul asked for for himself. And he's supposed to be, you know, we think of him as a super apostle. He's saying, I need prayer. So no one has ever arrived so that we could say, they're good, and I ain't got to pray for them. So pray for me, brothers and sisters. I'll pray for you. Pray for each other. Yes, pray for the weak. Pray for the struggling. But above all, don't neglect praying, even for those who are at this point, walking faithfully with God by faith. Pray that they would continue to do so more and more. That they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to his glory and to the praise of the one who is coming soon and who's, who will certainly not delay. Amen to that. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for these wonderful, encouraging, life-giving words that you spoke through your hand-picked Apostle Paul. We thank you that your Holy Spirit breathed these words through him and his personality, his experience, and yet this is your inerrant word spoken to your people this morning. May we take it to heart and may we do the things by faith that you've called us to do in it. And namely, that we would pray. And that we would pray keeping your priorities in mind. For kingdom expansion. For your glory. And the saving of many lost souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.